Welcome to Bible Theory Podcast, hosted by the Chicano Knox. Finally, a podcast about the church for the church. Bible Theory is for the streets, homie. This ain't your boy scout, choir boy type of podcast. This is for the Vato Locos who have been saved by the blood of Christ, homie. Coming straight out of Geneva. Donde están mis soldados reformados? Bienvenido a la Teoria de la Biblia podcast con el Chicano Knox. You are now entering into the reform state of mind, homie. Where we study ecclesiology and take it to the streets, homie. Coming from that five solas. Coming from that reformed underground railroad, homie. Coming from that West West 1646, SA. Joining Bible Theory uh, once again, this is your host, the Chicano Knox, coming live and direct from the Reform Underground Studios. And for those who don't know, uh, my podcast analytics keeps getting bigger and bigger because, uh, because of the grace of God, not because... I'm a somebody. I'm actually a nobody, you know what I mean? And I'm just a dad and dude, just like you, uh, you know, interested in uh, theology, specifically ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, um, learning about it, studying it, bringing it to you, reintroducing it to many. Uh, according to analytics, I just, bro- I just broke through France um, and Puerto Rico. So thank you for everybody in France. Uh, thank you for todo mi gente in Puerto Rico. Uh, I see you. So uh, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, and on YouTube. Hit the like and subscribe button because that goes a long way for the algorithm. And, you know, uh, you know, don't forget to support Bible Theory by buying me a coffee. I'll drop the link in the description below. Okay, with this, I've been waiting to talk about this for a while. I actually did talk about this once uh, back in season two with the episode, uh, Let's Talk About Demographics. Now we're going to return to this subject, uh, something that kind of sparked, or or should I say helped uh, start my journey in thinking about ecclesiology when I was studying uh, human geography and um, human, um, you know, demographics and all that stuff. And, you know, I I found some correlation, and this was what this episode was about, where, you know, and I brought somebody very special with me on here today to help help me talk about this, and it's Sam Rayner. Sam, thank you so much for your time and, you know, just your flexibility just to come on here and talk about demographics, an issue that many people, one, don't know about, and two, maybe don't even care about. So real quick, for people who don't know you, can you introduce yourself? Tell, tell, tell my audience who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, I, one, I'm very grateful to be on the show and thank you for inviting me. Honored to, to join you. Uh, I run a company called Church Answers, and I'm also a local church pastor. I mean, if you're going to summarize it pretty quickly, uh, I'm a dad as well. Um, so shout out to all the dads. At the time of this recording, Father's Day is tomorrow. So Happy Father's Day. Uh, not sure when everyone will be listening, but to all of the fathers out there, you are appreciated and your role is very important. So I'm a dad, I'm a pastor, I'm a researcher, I'm a business owner. Um, and uh, president of Church Answers, lead pastor of West Bradenton Baptist. And I love what I do. Um, I'm honored to be able to have a co-vocational role. Um, so um, I define bivocational as the church can't pay full time um, for whatever reason. Co-vocational, the church can, but by choice, I kind of have two vocations. So I consider myself co-vocational being president of Church Answers and the lead pastor of West Bradenton love what I do at my company, and I absolutely love my church and my family as well. So um, grateful to have uh, an amazing wife, five children, and uh, five because we foster. Um, so we've got three biological, one adopted, one foster right now, and uh, they're great kids. So um, happy Father's Day to me. Happy Father's Day to you and uh, to all the listeners as well. Amen. And uh, Feliz Dia de los Padres to everybody in Puerto Rico, Mexico, all those people out there. Um, real quick, I, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I've heard by a little bird tweet, should I say, that you actually like maybe follow the Tampa Bay Lightning. Is that true or is that? Oh false? yeah, yeah. I live okay. well. I live in the Tampa Bay area. Okay. And okay. I grew up in I grew up in St. Pete, uh, off of uh, 28th Street, mm-hmm. and 
Um, remember when the TROP, what, what was the Suncoast Dome, was built, became the Thunderdome when mm -hmm. uh, uh, the lightning moved in, and now they're at Amelie in Tampa. So big uh, Tampa Bay Rays fan and a big Lightning fan, and they are in the Stanley Cup Finals. They lost the first game, but hopefully they can pull it together. You know, I'm in the Rocky area, you know what I mean? I'm not a huge ho hockey guy, but whenever I do hear, you know, any of the teams of the Rockies, the Broncos, anything like that, I, I have to, you know, put my two cents in and be like, you know, go Rockies, go Avalanche, whatever. But I just wanted to put that out there, you know what I mean? Because I did <laughs> see that. So hey, The Avalanche are tough this year. That's a good team. We, You know, game one's done. I think game two is tonight at the time of yeah. the recording. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I've seen them come up. I've seen them get young guys, and, like, I've seen them focus on, like, young, raw players that are actually really good. And being a non-hockey guy, I grew up on the Mighty Ducks watching that movie, so that's the only hockey history I got, you know <laughs> You know what I mean? So watching them good go movie. to the stand, yeah, I, you know, watching the Avs go to the Stanley, I'm like, oh, that's good, I guess. You know, good for them, I guess. But anyways, um, so t tell us what Church Answers, you know, a little bit about Church Answers. Like, why did you start that ministry or business? Uh, what kind of services it provides? Who, who, who is the, you know, target audience or niche that you're trying to build? Yeah, so Church Answers is a resource provider for churches, particularly church leaders. Um, we have several different ways of serving churches. Um, we do certifications for things like church consulting. Um, so if you want to be a church consultant, we can certify you, interim pastors as well, church revitalizers. So we have several certifications. Uh, we also have a membership uh, where uh, you get access to uh, any number of resources, including Church Answer Central, which is our forum where we have 2,000 pastors interacting with each other on a regular yeah. basis. Um, we do some single resources and tools. I know the purpose of this podcast is demographics. We provide a demographic report for churches. So you can go to churchanswers.com. You'll see a little tab up at the top that says demographic reports. Uh, we have a very good resource called the Know Your Community uh, Report, which tells you all about your community. And we can talk more about that if you like. Um, and uh, we, uh, we also provide not only certifications and membership and, and tools, uh, but community as well for, for pastors and church leaders that are looking to connect on issues that are practical church health. That's what we do. Practical church leadership, practical church health. Um, I, I am a theologian because I'm a pastor, uh, but most people don't come to me for theological help. Uh, there's people that are better at it than I am. Uh, but where I can help is uh, with issues like cantankerous deacons, financial statements, uh, structure issues, operational issues, all sorts of things that uh, makes the church run on a daily basis. You mean people don't surround you in the parking lot and ask you about the hypostatic union or anything like that? Uh, you know, I have had those questions um, at, you know, within my congregation. I'm always glad to answer them. Uh, but my niche, my world is more on the leadership side of things. I do know what the high sure. union is, and I do have an opinion on it. Well, not only an opinion, a conviction. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm not the world's renowned theologian on that particular issue. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and get right into it, uh, you know, because time is precious and time is ticking. I want to go ahead and get into this issue of demographics. First of all, give us a little synopsis from a biblical understanding of what demographics is, because there's a secular view. If you study human ge geography, stuff like that, they, they, they kind of just take God out of the picture. They take God out of everything that's from based on my studies on human geography. And it's like, you know, it's all connected uh, from what I understand and a web. Uh, it's a wide topic. It's, it's kind of deep because it kind of touches a lot of different things spills over to different categories, um, like politics, uh, philosophy, it gets into all kinds of stuff, uh, agriculture, uh, you know, if you ever study human geography, but like what, what I took away from my studies on hu human geo was there, like the Lord is missing, the providence of God is missing, uh, you know, the redemption of, of man is missing, they have a wrong anthropology, you know, all those type of things, but, you know, can you give us a quick synopsis of human geo from a Christian perspective for those who have no idea what demographics is. Yeah. So let's define some terms first. Uh, demographics is who people are. Psychographics is what people prefer. Um, and that's a very basic definition. 
uh, if you were to take a course in anthropology, sociology, even statistics, um, you know, you're going to dive much deeper than that. But demographics, who people are, um, you know, are you Caucasian? Are you Hispanic? Are you black? Um, are you male? Are you female? Um, it's who you are. These are things you cannot change about yourself. Um, demographics, generally speaking. Um, psychographics is what you prefer. So I lean right or I lean left politically. Um, I prefer um, a Baptist church over a Presbyterian church. Those are psychographics. Um, now, when you're talking about what's a biblical perspective of all that, well, it, it goes back to the Missio Dei, the mission of God. And you cannot reach your community for Christ unless you know your community. This is Missiology 101. This is um, if you are called to a cross-cultural environment, so let's say, you know, uh, I had a cousin that was a missionary in Japan, and he went to Japan. He was called there without any experience, so he, uh, of being over there. So he, um, he had to learn the language. Uh, he had to learn the culture, and he had to understand, you know, how he needs to fit as an American into a Japanese culture. Um, those are all very important missiological questions and, and sociological questions as well. So he did that um, because he was called to win people for Christ in Japan. So demographics, who people are, psychographics, what people prefer, help you know how to do the mission of God. And, you know, it's this is a very basic thing, and I find this in, in churches a lot. So we do a lot of consultation at church answers. Um, that's another thing we do is church consultations. And one of the most basic parts of the church consultation is, you know, pulling a demographic report on their area. And so our demographic report actually is based upon drive time. I mean, that's how most people think. We are 20 minutes from uh, this particular spot, 15 minutes from this particular spot. And what we're learning um, through some recent studies is that people are not willing to drive as far to church as they once did. And so that church that's five, 10 minutes from everyone is very important. So our demographic reports are based on a 10 minute drive time or a 15 minute drive time. And you can learn, you know, who is within that community. And one of the most basic things that I found is I'll ask the church leader, whoever I'm working with, all right, how many people live within 10 minutes of your church? Like, what's your mission field? What is the size of your mission field? Forget all of the nuances of culture. Just how many people are here? And amazingly, Almost nobody can even say just how many people are in their field. So demographics is a very important part of just understanding your mission field. Something even as basic as how many. And most people greatly underestimate really three things. One, how many people are there? Most people think their communities, communities are much smaller. Um, how young their communities are. Most people think that they tend to be older and um, how ethnically diverse their communities are. Um, most people who are white tend to think that their communities are whiter than they are. Um, so those are the three big areas that are often missed. Now, our reports go into much more detail than that. They're almost 40 pages long, full of data. Uh, but even the most basic things, people don't understand. And if you don't understand your community, you can't reach your community. It's very hard to connect, to build that bridge uh, into the community. That's why demographics and psychographics are so important. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. That's actually a very important point. Um, studying church planting is actually, you, know, you have to look at what's your, what your community looks like. The context matters. Uh, in real estate, location, location, location. Well, I think in church planting, it's like, you know, community, community, community. Because you want to, you know, you're there to plant a church, right? If you really want to get into church planting, it's like, well, why are you planting a church? It's one, because the church in that area, there's no church in that area. You want to go be the church in that area. You want to start that church in area, you know? Um, and, and I feel like um, in the beginning of many churches, at least here, let, let's say um, in many churches in Denver, there's a lot of people that are like, okay, we're going to plant a church here in this local area because we have a vision that, you know, that drives uh, our passion for this area. We, we want to reach these like, eight blocks, right? Radius, right? And then like, like 20 years down the road, because of many different reasons, uh, culture shifts, whatever, it feels like many churches kind of lose that initial church plant initiative. 
of why they went to that neighborhood or eight blocks square radius in the first place. And then all of a sudden it's like, then they catch themselves, not all the time, but they catch themselves stuck. Like why people are not coming here? What's going on? Why, why can't we reach our neighbors? And then all of a sudden they, they find themselves reaching, um, you know, Russia or Antarctica or some other region. And not to say that is bad or they shouldn't do that, but it's like, for me, I'm like, isn't that like studying church plant, um, planting churches, it feels like, you know, you should be heavily concentrated, um, at least prioritizing those eight blocks a lot more than, you know, reaching Russia. It's kind of like maybe a lot of churches stopped subconsciously reaching the eight blocks and then they start reaching Russia, for example. And I'm not saying don't reach Russia. Russia needs the gospel too. But I'm just saying like, for me, it feels like a lot of modern churches catch themselves 20 years after the church plant in this situation. Um, in your experience, what do you have to say to that? Um, what are the potential pitfalls for those type of imbalances? when you stop reaching your, your own demographic in your backyard, for example, um, and, and then you focus on other demographics, like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, every church has a, every local church has a global mandate. Um, so we, we're called to the nations and we call ourselves at West Bradenton a neighborhood church for the nations. So there's really two parts to the mission of God. You have your neighborhood, which as you said, is just like eight blocks right around you. That's what we focus on here at West Bradenton. Um, and then you have the calling to make disciples of all peoples in all places. Now, every church can't go every place, of course. You can't go to every nation, but you do have a call to the nations in the sense that you're called outward from yourself. Right. Not only to your neighborhood, to the nations. Um, but you brought up a great point because a lot of churches do neglect the neighborhood right around them. And what we're seeing actually is a decline in the large regional church, um, mega churches, things like that. And it's not just mega churches, but the large regional church that's trying to draw people from an hour away. Every, you, know, you, you know, these churches, if you ask them, who's your mission field uh, locally, they'll say, well, people from an hour away. And that movement's waning. And we can see that in the data. I won't bore you with all the data, but... Um, you know, there's probably about half as many mega churches after the pandemic as there was before. And that there was not much growth in the number of mega churches really since 2010. So what that means is, is that there's an opportunity to refocus on the neighborhoods. Um, if people are not going to drive as far to church, if people are um, not as attracted to, you know, these large regional churches, like the baby boomers were. So the mega church movement was a baby boomer phenomenon. They were filled with baby boomers. Most people think they're younger. They're not. They're actually older. Um, and that means that we have an opportunity as a neighborhood church. You have an opportunity as a local church to reach the people right around you. Now, people aren't going to flock back into your church just because it's a neighborhood church or just because it's a little smaller. You have to do the work of evangelism. You have to do the work of outreach. You have to do the work of serving your community. Um, but there's the, the stigma is going away of smaller churches, which I love. Uh, that's good news for church plants uh, because and unless you're a real anomaly, most church plants start small. Um, that's good news if you are an established church uh, that has an established congregation in a very specific spot. Um, that's the story of West Bradenton is 1305 43rd Street West. We've been here since 1962, I think, 1963. And uh, we haven't moved. So the people around us have changed because the community has grown and there's different people here as there as there were in 19 in the 1960s. So there's always more people to reach, more places to go. Um, churches tend to find tend to be imbalanced. The ones that are outwardly focused tend to either focus on the nations to the neglect of the neighborhood or on the neighborhood to the neglect of the nations. And um, so you need to be doing both. Unfortunately, I think the vast majority of churches aren't even focused on the mission of God. They're not doing the work of evangelism locally or cross-culturally. They're not doing the work of outreach locally. Um, most churches are quite happy with the status quo. Um, and it, and it's, it's, it's an opportunity. We are in a, a great spot in terms of where the culture is right now to reach the people around us. And I think that more churches should, should catch that desire 
And one of the ways that starts is just even knowing who's in your community. Um, another thing that churches tend to grossly underestimate are the number of single moms or single dads, mainly single moms in most communities, but they're single dads too. I mean, there's a whole, and I, I find most communities, one in three or one in two homes are single parent homes. Well, what does that mean? I mean, that's a huge ministry opportunity. The only way that you're going to know that is to look at a demographic report, to study the data. And I think that that's a good missiological principle. I think Jesus studied the culture. I think the disciples studied the culture. Now, it was a movement of the Holy Spirit, and nobody is regenerated apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. But we're still called outward, and we're still called to reach people, and we're still called to a, a place of obedience where we share. And to go into a community, to go into a culture completely ignorant of that community, or completely, you know, willfully ignorant of the, the, the context, well, that's not being a good missionary. Um, good missionaries study. They learn the culture. Part of learning the culture is through demographics. Not the only way, of course, but it is a huge part of, it's, it's, a, it's the starting point of who are these people and, that I'm called to reach and what drives them? And very important questions that every church needs to know. That's why we created the Know Your Community Report of Church Answers, is because every church needs to know their context, every single church. Um, and, you know, we want to be a part of helping churches do that. Amen. You said something very important. It opens up, you know, the next idea, uh, the next issue is uh, baby boomers. It's a generation that's retiring the fastest and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the largest living generation, I think, in the last time I read was the millennials as of, what, 2020 or something like that. Um, so you got a cultural shift. I mean, you got a generational shift that's happening pretty much everywhere around the world, almost at the same time. You got an aging population where everybody's kind of like, well, not everybody, but like a large group of people in, in many nations that are just getting older and older. And it's true. People get older. Look at me. I'm getting older. You know what I mean? Um, everybody gets older, but not like this. I don't think, that, you know, I don't think we ever seen this uh, before. Um, if you do, uh, you know, um, you, you look at uh, South Korea, they have a huge population of senior citizens. Italy, Japan, I think Japan is the oldest in the world in terms of population, um, in terms of um, senior citizens, the population of senior citizens. Russia has a bunch of aging population. And then America is kind of creeping up there as well. Now, when you do, when you just look at the data and be like, okay, that's, it's a lot of senior population, um, senior citizens population. Okay. Now, when you step back and be looking at it, you'll be like, okay, logically, mortality will happen, right? You know, this generation will pass away and the new generation will happen, right? A new generation will take over with the millennial and alpha and the baby boomers, baby boomers the silent generation and all these other generations that are still here are going to go away logically sooner or later by 2024, 2035, 2040, maybe it's the last, um, for certain generations. Um, and then all of a sudden, if you do the math, it's like, boom, like there's going to be a huge, like, like dip, you know what I mean? More in some countries, more than others. Um, e even Elon Musk, uh, who, who actually sees this as a problem. He, he, he actually tweeted and say, somebody asked him, what is the problem in the future? And, and they said, is it, is it global warming? And he's like, no, it's not going to be global warming. It's going to be population collapse. There's not going to be enough people. And I'm like, wow, that, that kind of, you know, makes sense. If you look at the data, it potentially makes sense. Now he could be wrong. The data could be wrong. But if you just stick with the data and what he, what that guy says, then I'm thinking, well, that kind of it kind of makes sense but when you apply this to churches and you look at the aging population at churches the church of england the episcopal church some presbyterian church some baptist churches some methodist churches that are just population wise in, ter in terms of church membership is aging population you know what i mean the church of england you know that, ha that has a major impact in early American colonialism, um, they only have, they only reach like 2% of the youth in England and Scotland, you know what I mean, which is vastly low. I read in the Telegraph one time uh, last year uh, that if this happens continually, that the Church of England 
will supposedly disappear by 2035, which is like if I fast forward, if I went back in time and told J.C. Ryle that, <laughs> if I went back in time and told some of the church fathers that, you know, in the post-English, in the English Reformation, they would have been like, there's no way that the Church of England would disappear. <laughs> now, some people would, yeah, let them disappear, you know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, you know, stuff like that. What are your thoughts about an aging church population in relationship to the aging world population? Yes, I, I think you're correct. Um, countries generally are getting older, um, although there are certain parts of the world that are growing and growing rapidly. Nigeria is one, for example, and many think that the population of Nigeria will overtake that of China in coming years which is hard to fathom. Uh, India is growing as well. Uh, but there's certainly a problem of an aging population in the United States, Japan, and other places, as you have mentioned. Um, part of the uh, reason for uh, the aging of the United States population in, in other places is declining birth rates. Um, people are just not having as many children. Uh, what has staved off an utter collapse of the population decline in the United States is immigration. And in order for our nation to, th to do anything in the future, we're gonna need not less immigration, but significantly more immigration to, to counter what are declining population trends and birth rates of people who are you know, born here. Um, and all of the growth in the United States, uh, the last 10, 15 years is ethnic minorities. The white population in the United States actually declined for the first time uh, since 1790 with the la latest census. So all of the growth, all of the growth in the United States is ethnic minorities, mainly Hispanics, uh, 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 black people as well, um, some in the Asian community, but the, the vast majority of population growth in the United States is Hispanic. And, and I, I, use that term, yeah, I use that term Hispanic. I know not everyone identifies with the term. It's all just, right, you know. It, it's it's a, it, Latino, Hispanic. I say it because that's the demographic term. That's what sure, we're talking sure. about. And uh, I realize that if you're like a third generation uh, person that's here, you, you may not say you're Hispanic. So for those who are listening, I do understand the difference. I'm just for the sake of a podcast, I've got to use a term. That's the sure, sure. Um, so it's uh, it's a very important thing. And it's something that we've noticed in our church. I mean, 40 percent of our community here in Bradenton is ethnic minority. And most of that is Spanish speakers or those who are of Hispanic origin. So. You know, if, if the church is going to change and adjust in the future and do well in the United States, well, it needs to be more multi-ethnic. The youngest generation is by far the most diverse generation. You know, you're talking Gen Z and then this alpha generation that's coming up that we know very little about because they're, they're very, very young. Um, but millennials, certainly more diverse than boomers. Gen Z, even more diverse. Let me give you some stats here since we're talking demographics. Um, oh, please. <laughs> so my grandparents came of age when the United States was 85 to 90 percent white. Just let that kind of sink in. So if you're 85, 90 years old, you came of age when the United States was 85, 90 percent white. Um, now, the United States will be minority white in just a few short years. Preschools are already minority white. So we've seen a massive shift. People of color represent so much more of the United States now. Now, I champion that. I welcome that. I think that's great. Immigration has saved this country demographically. Without immigrants, our economy would be absolutely devastated. Uh, most people don't realize that. The, the labor force is, is the growing. Every bit of the labor force growth will occur because of Hispanics. And most people don't see that. Um, so without that, we would be in a very difficult spot here in the United States. Now, what does that mean for the church? Well, it's very basic. Guess what? Um, you're called to reach them, to reach people for Jesus and to make disciples who make disciples. Uh, so your Spanish-speaking ministries, if you have them, as we have them here at West Bradenton, are going to become much more important. And if you are resigned and dedicated to being an all-white church, um, well, in most communities, that's not going to work for you in about 30 or 40 years. Um, now, in some communities in the upper Midwest, I mean, you could, I mean, you could always point out some exceptions. Hey, we're 95% white here. Okay, great. You, then just reach your community. You know, then 95% of your church should be white. Um, you should just reflect your community. And a lot of people push back on that. And I, I would just say, I think it's a, a good missiological principle. It's a good. It's, if you're, re, if you know your community, you're reaching your community. Your church is going to reflect your community. 
You don't have to sacrifice your principles to do that. You certainly don't need to sacrifice your doctrine. You should not. Um, you know, stay true to the word of God. Um, ecclesiologically, which is what this podcast is about, you don't have to sacrifice your ecclesiology to reach mm-hmm. people. Um, but you do need to do the mission of God. You do need to do the work of God. You do need to get out there to, to do outreach, to do evangelism, and to bring people into the church, assimilate them into the body, make disciples who make disciples. These are very basic missiological principles. And because of the political climate and because of race issues in the United States, which are still present, um, sometimes people push back on that. I understand there's some sensitivities there and there's a lot of hurt and pain that has been associated with some of these racial divides in our country. Uh, But the church should be a place where the healing takes place. And, you know, we've certainly seen some great things happen at West Bradenton, my church. We have um, we have six services on a Sunday morning, two languages, two campuses, four preaching pastors. Um, I'm one of them. I preach three of the services, three of the six. But we have two Spanish speaking pastors and they're awesome. And um, one of them knows a little bit of English. The other one knows very little English. And sometimes it makes staff meetings a little interesting because uh, we need <laughs> a translator. Uh, but but it's beautiful. And I, I, would, I yeah. wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it at yeah. all. And uh, because we have a significant amount of people in our community that don't know English as well, they're learning it. But, but there's always going to be a need for a Spanish-speaking service here in this part of the world because you have people coming into the country that just they want to learn English, but they don't know it well. OK, great. Guess what? Yeah. We need a Spanish-speaking service. That's yeah. just basic demographics. Those are the very basic things that I think a lot of churches miss. Absolutely. Um, I talked to uh, Dr. Javier Chavez last week, and he's from Gangsville awesome pastor he's he's um originally from peru and he, he you know he lives in gangsville georgia you know back in the 90s it was like what well, he told me it was like 99 percent white caucasian now it's over 50 40 50 percent hispanic and, and he has a latin church hispanic church and all his congregation hispanics and they all work at the factories the chicken factories in gainesville um so within 30 years or less the whole the 99 percent caucasian rate in gainesville georgia flipped and went entirely almost half or a little over half Hispanic. So that right there is an, a, one example. And that's not even talking about LA, Chicago, or Miami. Like he said, this is Gainesville, Georgia. This is like deep right. South. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's happening all over the world, um, especially here in the United States. Like you're, you're, you're right. Um, I think, uh, was it by 2040 or 2050, it's going to be almost half Hispanic. Now there's a curveball. You ready for the curveball? Bring it. Uh, they may overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, the birth rates have been impacted in the white Caucasian um, demographics, Anglo-Saxon, whatever you want to call them, in America, because I think because Roe v. Wade has made major impacts in culture and society, in churches, in corporations. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, you know, so with women, white women are like less are having less and less children since then. They have aborted more children um, since then, um, you know, and that's sad. Um, and that's, um, you know, very, very sad when you think about that. But when you look at the data, it's like, well, well, white women are not having as much. Ch- well, obviously, if you're, you know, listening and you have like 10 kids and you're white living in Utah or South Carolina or whatever, you're a statistic, man. You're a statistic. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of the white women, they're, they're not having kids. You know what I mean? They're, they're not. And they're pushing marriage out further and further, which obviously all this kind of impacts. It does touch, you know, your birth rates and, and demographics. But now with Roe v. Wade, that might be overturned in a lot of states. I think Iowa, Oklahoma, they, they just banned abortion outright recently. Many, like maybe like 13 to 14 other states might come out and just say it's illegal. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be sanctuaries. Like California is already a sanctuary for pro-abortion. Um, New York State. So I'm sure there's going to be, you know, the, the coastal line is going to be pro- going to ban it. Now, this does kind of play with the numbers, maybe, because it kind of it may it may um, spike the, you know, it may um, spike birth rates. We will see. I'm hoping it will. Um, I'm hoping it will, because if it doesn't, if this, um, you know, what I mean, because I don't think none of this factors in Roe v. Wade being overturned. You know what I mean? Not that I've studied um it, it just continues as the law of the land according to the numbers we look at um yeah so 
the birth, you know, having children, like you said, it's a pretty big deal um, that impacts society. You know, nations are built on families. Um, you know what I mean? So I feel like congregations in the future also need to start focusing on families um, in terms of like making it okay and building a, a culture of families is an okay thing to have. Uh, I'm not saying like pressure women to have kids, but in the sense of making it like, this is a normal thing. Children are a great thing because, you know, from the, ever since Roe v. Wade, it's been the law. And I think it is still law now, but you know, it's, it's about to get overturned, I think. But like back in the day, since it got accepted and made into law, kids were like seen as an inconvenient in society. It's, you know what I mean? The womb is a very dangerous place, they say, and all these things. So it kind of downplayed the family. You know what I mean? It was like a, a subtle attack on building family, you know what I mean? And many churches, you know, I went to a couple of churches and I have four kids and they're like, wow, you got four kids. That's a lot. And I'm like, um, in Latin America, it's not a lot. My sister has seven. My mother homie has seven. <laughs> I'm actually the one that has less than all, all my other Hispanic friends. You know what I mean? So it's like, and you're like a, a white church and you're telling me that it's weird and why you have so many kids. And I'm like, can you touch on the psychological effects that Roe v. Wade has had in the church in terms of not accepting big families when in the future you may need to accept big families? Yeah, you, you brought up a really good point. Um, you know, when Roe v. Wade was occurring in the 1970s, there really wasn't um, a strong pro-life movement. There, there was among Catholics, but that was about it. Um, even evangelical Christians did not speak out as much as they should. That didn't happen really until the 90s. Um, so one, I'm, you know, just for the sake of your listeners who don't know me, I'm strongly pro-life and would fully support the overturning of Roe v. Wade, believe that it should happen. You know, I, I realize people are going to disagree with me on that. And uh, frankly, I don't care uh, because the you know life begins at conception. Science has proven that we need to figure out a way to care for those who are in the womb and, and not kill them. Um, so one, I hope that happens. I do believe it will. I'm, I'm not a, you know, a Supreme Court watcher. I'm not an expert in this area. Um, that's just my gut is that, uh, that it will be overturned and it will go back to the states. Yes, there will be sanctuaries, as you said. How does this impact the church? Um, well, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I can't really speak to the psychology uh, but I can speak the demography. Um, you are correct that birth rates will go up with if Roe v. Wade is overturned. How much? Well, that's yet to be determined. Um, I hope that happens, uh, particularly in the black community. Um, I think you're going to see birth rates go up if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Um, but all demographics, you know, whatever race it is, you're going to see an increase there. And you're right. White people are having less children. Hispanics tend to have more children. Um, so, you know, yet another reason to be thinking about Spanish-speaking ministries in your church. Um, but let's assume that Roe v. Wade is overturned. Let's assume that what I believe would be very good happens. Um, how do you prepare your church? Well, there's an easy way. There is a really easy way that you can do right. Well, I say easy. Um, it's very hard. But it's, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's something that every church can do. That's what I mean by easy. And that's fostering. Um, people ask me all the time, I do these consults all the time. Church like, we, we're not as connected to our community. How do we get connected to the community? What do we do to get connected to the community? How do we know the people? The people don't want to be here, blah, 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 blah. How do we go to the community? There's lots of things you can do, but the number one thing that you can do is start fostering. Get two, three, four, five families in your church to foster and get involved in the foster system. You're going to be connected to every part of the community, the worst problems of your community. You're going to be in front of police officers and judges and caseworkers and guardian ad litems. You're going to be in front of families that are in need. You're going to have children in your church that are uh, experienced trauma. Uh, you're, you're, you're going to be connected to like everything in your community, rural, urban, suburban, whatever, whatever the racial mix is, whatever the, um, uh, the, the uh, um, whatever generational mix you have in your community. Every community has needs when it comes to the foster system. So foster children. That's the best thing that you can do. And oh, by the way, let's assume Roe v. Wade is overturned. Guess what? 
there's going to be a lot of people, mothers and fathers, who will have children but don't want them. Somebody's going to have to take them. So fostering and adoption are going to become significantly more important. Crisis pregnancy centers will become significantly more important. You know, these things don't go away with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. In many ways, that's the starting line. And you can get your church ready right now by starting a movement of fostering. It, that, that helps you in so many ways. And you will be far ahead of any other church in 10 years when it comes to what's going to happen to families. And oh, by the way, when you welcome foster children, you focus on families. And by focusing on families, you're encouraging something that's very important to the life of the church. It has completely revolutionized West Bradenton. We started fostering. We've, at any given time, we have 20 plus foster kids in the church. And our children's ministry has almost quadrupled since that time. So 35% uh, of our church is 18 and under now. And I credit that to what began with fostering. You know, how do we get younger as a church? How do we get younger? No kids will come here. Well, guess what? If you foster, they will be there. And you don't have to be 25 years old to foster. Man, there's I can point to you foster stories where it's retired people and they take foster children in, you know, and because they have the time and they have the means of being able to to care for children. So um, maybe you're 65 plus and you're wondering what your next ministry is. I would say you probably need to pray about fostering. Wow, that's a blind spot that many churches are. I think one of your quotes uh, I posted on my uh, Twitter feed, it was like, uh, we haven't tried that yet. Uh, the, like the like the seven words that that our dying church would say, I probably butchered it. Let me see if I could find it. But uh, I think yeah, it's what, we've know. never done that before. We've never done that. The... Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's it is seven, and I'm I'm misquoting yeah, yeah. myself. But... A, I have I have it right here. It says we never done that that way before. We never done it that way before. There we go. It's, off, we go. it's often cited as the last seven words of a dying church. End quote. I thought it was a fabulous thing because many many churches are trying to swim in the middle of a cultural shift you know what i mean um yeah so you know um i obviously there's a lot of political reasonings why you know they want immigration here um it, it's a divided issue it's a heated issue but for the church's perspective when you bring it back to the realm of ecclesiology um and think about okay the lord actually this is like you said earlier it's a great opportunity it's a gift to the church. Um, it's probably the most optimistic thing you could probably talk about in terms of mission, evangelism, uh, and revitalizing the church, like to use your terminology, is that the world, the, the Lord is bringing, you know, a certain group, a certain number uh, of people to, to the United States. He's bringing the world here in a sense. Um, and America has a history of having the world here you know, with the Irish uh, immigration, you got the Italian immigration, you have all kinds of groups throughout the 20th um, and 19th centuries, right? Um, and now you have like tons of Central Americans, tons of like uh, uh, people from the um, Caribbean, um, you know, islands and um, South America, um, you know, primarily Central America coming thousands and thousands over the border. And, you know, politically stuff aside, Christian stuff in the center, if you really think about it Christian, biblically, you're like, well, okay, so this is a huge opportunity. Um, you know, I think you, we talked about it, you mentioned that your church has some um, experience in it. Um, what should, you know, how can churches get involved in this? H how can they reach these these groups of people that are migrating here? Um, what, what are some of the ways that these pastors could prepare for the inevitable, the inevitable 50% Hispanic uh, or, or over 50% Hispanic. Uh, and, you know, like you said, the Caucasians being the minority. How can these predominant white churches, because it's going to happen. Boulder, Colorado is going to be 40% Hispanic sooner or later because Aurora, Colorado, Denver, outside of Denver is mostly Hispanic. You know what I mean? Uh, you know what I mean? Pueblo, Colorado is mostly Hispanic. You know what I mean? And all these, you know, Phoenix, <laughs> you go there, it's like mostly Hispanic, you know what I mean? Uh, Chicago, you know, New York is, is a mixing pot, you know what I mean? And so, like, you have to really go in the middle of nowhere, like maybe somewhere in the middle of Pennsylvania, <laughs> and then you'll be surrounded by it. It's not the norm. That's not the norm. Um, you know, even Hershey, Pennsylvania is mostly Hispanic, um, at least, you know, the rural area. 
you know, because a, a lot of these workers are rural workers. They work the, the lettuce, they work the lettuce fields, the strawberry fields, the avocado field, the, the soybean fields, you know what I mean? Right, because they, they can't go ahead and apply for Wells Fargo. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're not going to work for Wells Fargo. They're going to work for the lettuce field. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so uh, w- what are some of the strategies these predominant white churches can start doing so they could be prepared so within 20, 25, 30 years, they won't, you know, be dealing with such a huge impact of potentially closing the door, their doors? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Um, so your first generation immigrants tend to work more manual labor jobs, but those who are second, third generation tend to be middle class. And one of the things that we've seen in the Bradenton area is poorer whites moving out and middle class Hispanics moving in, renovating the homes that are there. And actually gentrification means that the white population has been pushed out and more middle class Hispanics are moving in. Um, so there's always going to be a need for that immigrant, that migrant, that person that's here, that's brand new and just learning like, you know, I'm, I'm in a strawberry field. Like, and that's a significant portion of people, but there's also a rising middle class among the Hispanic community that for the most part, if you're a second or third generation person of this country, particularly if you're an American, um, a lot of them consider themselves American, um, you're gonna speak English. So the language barrier is not there for a, a large portion of those who are not white. Um, so I'll just say, let's take, let's remove ourselves from the language barrier. That could easily be solved by, well, you support missionaries, right? Oh yeah, we support missionaries. Bring in a local missionary, bring in a Spanish speaking missionary to your own church and have them reach your community. So if you support missionaries, well, you could do that locally. That's, that's one solution there. If you're willing to send somebody to Nigeria, um, that's great. I hope you do. That's a growing country and they need, they, they need people there. Um, but then why can't you send somebody to your own community? Why can't you have, bring in a local missionary to reach the people around you? So if you're looking to cross the language barrier, that's one way to do it. But let's assume that you're, 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 you know, you're going to reach those who speak English. Invite people to church. Start with the schools. You know, um, we've adopted several schools around here. Uh, and we help teachers. We help students. And we just help whoever. Well, a good portion of them, because the youngest generation is minority white, a significant portion of them are people of color. Guess what? If you're doing gospel work among the youngest generations, that's who's going to come into your church. So if you want to solve a problem 25 years down the road, you're not going to solve it with your 80-year-olds, your 70-year-olds, and your 60-year-olds. Man, if God sends you uh, Hispanic people that are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and your church is filled with them, that's awesome. I champion that don't want to neglect those kinds of ministries, but the most churches, just practically speaking, are going to grow with the youngest generation. So focus on the schools, focus on where they are, and just do outreach like you would with anybody, whatever race they may be. Um, and just also realize that you are going to have to change as a church, um, because the Hispanic culture in most communities is a little different than the white culture. It's not worse or better. It's just different. So your church, you, the one way to shut all this off is to say, we want you to come into our church, but we don't want to change our church culture. Well, you're never going to reach people like that. You won't reach anybody like that. Uh, You're going to have to be willing to change your, your culture. You know, choir is going to look a little different if you have a choir. Children's ministry is going to look a little different if you have children's ministry. Um, some of your events may look differently. And if you're not willing to do that, well, you're not willing to do gospel work. You know, you're not willing to, to, to do the work of an evangelist. You're not willing to do the work of a missionary. Um, so a couple of things there. Uh, you can hire somebody just as a missionary. If you're like, hey, we want to cross the language barrier. Well, you would do that in your own community, just like you would in another country. Um, you can focus on children in the schools and just reaching the schools. And if you do that, likely you're going to see an increase of um, ethnicity in your church. And thirdly, you you have to be willing to change the culture of your church. If not, well, you're not gonna reach anybody. Um, and you know, I don't think any church should die. I think God wants every church to thrive. I don't like hearing people say that church should die. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think every church, if God can save any person, he can save any church. Um, 
but that being said, if you choose to die, well, I, there's not much we can do. Um, so uh, some pretty basic things there. Um, guess what? Hispanic kids uh, are not all that different than the white kids. <laughs> They're kids. <laughs> I mean, there's some there's some nuances there, of course, culturally. They play video games. They like the same sports. They're, they're just kids. So guess what? Reach the kids. That's all you got to do. And, and lastly, they're, they're, you know, when people talk about demographics, they tend to get into the politics and to the political theory pretty much right away. And churches have been recently dealing with this. I think from, according to my study, 2013 is when you started to see a, a predo- this flesh out. And I, more recently, more and more. Um, you know, and there's a lot of uh, temptation that comes with this too. I get it. Uh, peer pressure as well. Um, but, but when you study demographics uh, in your neighborhood and you want to connect with your culture, for example, that's around you, there's a temptation that comes to churches and certain pastors, even missionaries, to assimilate to that culture, to sacrifice the gospel, to sacrifice truths, essential truths of the gospel for the sake of making peace with your neighbors, for the sake of making peace with uh, non-believers, should I say, or making peace with the state, for example, uh, whatever, fill in the blank. Um, what, what do you have to say against that? What, what, why is that a slippery slope? Why is that a temptation? Because when many churches, they study demographics and they're like, well, you know, for example, you know, the buzzword, you know, the BLM stuff, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden they get into that and, you know, um, racial reconciliation. And, and, and not to say, um, you know, America has a, you know, a perfect uh, clean past, but to say they, they go so far in a sense where they sacrifice the complete gospel and, you know what I mean? And they get involved so much and it's like, you kind of got lost in that sense, looking at looking at where your church has gone from, from being confessional and reform, maybe evangelical, and all of a sudden, it feels like you know it, it kind of sounds like you kind of embraced it so much so that what team are you on in that sense? Like, why are you you know what I mean? So, can you give some of that warning to many people who are going to study demographics in the modern sense? Yeah. Oh, the so, dangers of that? Uh, yeah, I'd be glad to. And and just so I show my cards, I'm going to give this from a conservative perspective because I tend to lean more conservative theologically, politically, economically. Um, so I'm not afraid to tell people what I think. I, I certainly don't want to make enemies, uh, but what I'm about to share comes from that perspective. So I just want everyone to, to know that. I don't know your audience. So uh, what you're about to hear comes from me, one person. Um, you can politicize anything. And we have as a country um, and you can polarize anything. Um, I, I mean, literally anything. And I would just say what what often causes churches to not um, build bridges is fear. Um, you, you know, you, you look at something like BLM or CRT, critical race theory, or any of these things that are out there that are very polarizing. Well, you can use those as wedges. Certainly you can. You can you can take Black Lives Matter and, and make that an issue in your church. You can take critical race theory and make that an issue in your church. I would encourage you not to. I would encourage you to listen. Um, you know, if you have part of the black community that really kind of leans into CRT, although I would say it's more of an academic thing. Uh, you're not often going to find people at ground level that are talking about this, but it, it seems to be that something that's out there. Well, just sit down and listen with someone. Maybe you'll learn that like, okay, I disagree with them on these three or four things and I disagree with them pretty, pretty heartily, but there's six or eight things that I actually agree with them on. We'll focus on the points of agreement to, to build bridges so that you can share the gospel. Um, you know, I, I have certain political opinions. I feel very strongly about free markets. I'm a free market capitalist. Um, I'm not a big fan of government regulation, but I'm also smart enough to know that as a pastor, for the most part, that's not a biblical issue. Like, you know, it's just not. Um, so while I'll vote a certain way and I'll, you know, I'll support candidates myself as a pastor and as a missionary and as somebody's trying to reach my community, there's certain things that are biblical, certain things that aren't. Um, so you have to have discernment on, okay, I, I disagree with this person politically, but this really isn't a biblical issue. Um, 
you know, free markets that you're not going to find free market capitalism in the Bible as much as I love it. It's not there because it wasn't even invented yet. Um, so I would just say, one, stay out of your, get out of the echo chamber. Um, if all that you're doing is getting your news from the social media, media algorithm, guess what? It rewards things that you like. So you're only hearing one side. So get out of the echo chamber. Listen, if you have an issue with something, let's say CRT, well, go read Cone. Go read the people that came up with this thing. Go read the, the actual source documents. Make your own opinions. Um, it's like Calvinism. I can't tell you how many Calvinists I've met that have never read Calvin's Institutes. Like, okay, go, go read them. Or, or people who are opposed to Calvinism. Like, I can't stand that. Okay, why? Have you read the Institutes? Go read the source documents. Find out more about it. Listen. Understand. You know, you're probably still going to disagree with some of this stuff. But at least you'll, have, you'll, you'll be able to know how to build bridges better. So when things get polarized and politicized in the church, step one, ask yourself, is this a biblical issue? Pro-life issues? I do believe it is. Um, things like free market capitalism? No, I don't. Where road needs to go in your community or whether that road needs to be widened or not, yeah, that, that may be a hot issue in any local community, but it's not a biblical issue. So stick to the biblical issues. Um, don't be part of the polarization. Build bridges. Don't burn them. And even when you find that you disagree with somebody politically, um, you can still you, you can still reach out to them. You can still talk to them. You can still listen to them. Um, and I think a lot of people view your enemy is not flesh and blood. Your, your enemy is not your neighbor. Your, your enemy is not the opposing political party. Your enemy is the powers of darkness. And we often lose sight of that in the church. Um, so I say this as somebody who is pretty strongly conservative in many areas of my life. Um, I'm not going to compromise my doctrine. I'm, I'm not going to compromise what I believe to be truth. I'm, I'm actually an inerrantist. I believe the whole Bible is true. I'm not going to compromise that. But I, I, I can be kind and gracious and loving to my neighbor and um, disagree in a way that doesn't burn a bridge, even while sharing the truth. And I think that's the example of Christ. Um, so these are very important issues that you've brought up, and they are um, things that we cannot ignore um, as a church. Uh, but I also don't think that, I, I think that we can be a calming effect in the community as opposed to adding fuel to the fire. Last words on trying to convince that pastor who may be on the fence about studying this issue, demographics, uh, two minutes, what do you got to say to that pastor who's on the fence to be like, mm, I, don't, I don't know about demographics? Well, if you don't know your community, you can't reach your community. And the only way that you're going to understand your mission field is to look at the demographics and the psychographics. There's several ways you can do that. Um, obviously, you have census data and all sorts of things. Uh, but that's why we created the Know Your Community Report. So if you're interested, you can go to churchanswers.com, click on the demographic tab, and tell you all, all about it. I'm not going to do a sales pitch too much here. Um, you can go check it out if you like. Um, and, and I would just say be willing to learn. Be willing to listen. Be willing to, to have some of your uh, beliefs of your community um, be changed. Because I bet, I bet for most of your listeners, the community is younger than they think. It's more diverse than they think. Um, and there are more single moms than, than they might realize. Uh, so what it will do is it will open your eyes to opportunities for ministry. Again, this gets back to the mission of God, the Missio Dei. And the Missio Dei is a part of ecclesiology. It's a part of how your church operates and how your church governs itself. Um, so at its root, this is an ecclesiological issue uh, because it's a missiological issue. And, you know, missiology flows from ecclesiology and vice versa. Um, you have to have uh, a strong, uh, you have to have strong convictions on both of those things in order to, to do the mission of God correctly. Amen. Where can people find you real quick on social media so I could go ahead and post it so people could find you? Yeah, the handle is Sam Rayner, S-A-M-R-A-I-N-E-R, -E Facebook, um, Twitter. I, you can find me on Instagram. It's actually Sam S. Rayner on Instagram. Uh, because uh, there's some snow skier out in um, British Columbia, I believe, that there's another Sam Rayner, and he took my handle. Actually, it's his handle, but he got it first. Give it back, so, bro. Give it back. <laughs> I, no, well, he, we've actually interacted some because our names are the same, and sometimes we get each other's emails, which is absolutely hilarious. Uh, yeah. wherever, he, wherever he goes to get his hair done, uh, I get those emails. 
Um, oh wow! <laughs> I don't know how that's happened? So you're Sam like, you're like being bold Instagram. again. You're like what? Yeah, Sam Estrader on Instagram. Um, but I just post pictures of my family. So if you're interested in looking at my kids, you can you can go there. Hey man, I'll go ahead and follow you up on all those. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Bible Theory and to the next episode. I appreciate you. Don't forget to hit me up on Twitter at the Chicano Knox and follow me on YouTube and support the ministry uh, buy me, at Buy Me a Coffee. I'll drop the link below. Uh, but anyways, until the next episode, God bless. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you for listening to Bible Theory. Don't forget to share this with your homies. Support Bible Theory on Patreon. Follow me on Twitter at the Chicano Knox. Like and subscribe to Bible Theory on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and more. Gracias por escuchar Bible Theory. No olvides a compartir esto con tus homies. Apoya Bible Theory and Patreon. Sígame en Twitter and the Chicano Knox. Dame un like y suscríbete a Bible Theory and Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast iHeartRadio e Moss. E